0: Well, last week we began a new sermon series entitled Beware of the Church. And it's not something you normally do, is to tell people that are at church to beware of the church. But I believe that as we go through this uh, study together, you will receive uh, a real gift from the Father uh, around what the church is called to be and who we are. Beware of the church. Now, last week I I mentioned that there were two reasons, uh, specific reasons, why we need to be aware of the church. The church can be a very dangerous place. The first one is not very pleasant, and it's that throughout the years historically, the church has failed time and time again. The church has failed to represent Christ uh, in a loving, gracious way. The church has failed by setting standards for the world that they can't possibly keep because they're not Christ followers. The church has failed because we have shot our own wounded and kicked them to the side of the curb. So um, we apologize for that. And the church of Jesus Christ must be better than that because we have been called as God's children to the emissaries of this amazing thing that we call the gospel. We've been called to be ones who bring this gospel, this reconciling power of God through Jesus Christ to the world and it always has to be delivered with love. It can't be delivered with condemnation or with judgment but with love. So beware of the church. Sometimes the church can hurt you. But there's another reason we need to be aware of the church and it's this. The church can be a very dangerous place. When the church takes the words of Jesus seriously when the church recognizes that what Jesus said was true, uh, we, became, we become a very risky proposition. In fact, we'll talk this morning about things that we will find hidden behind the glossy message of Christ's love. And that glossy message is good. It says, ask for forgiveness and God will forgive you of your sins. Okay, That's a great message and it's true. Um, give your heart to Christ and you get to spend eternity in heaven. Also a very true message. But that's behind door number one and behind door number two. But behind door number three is danger and pain and risk and loss. When you take the gospel of Jesus seriously, you will be unsettled. When you take the good news of Christ's love uh, to heart... It will change the way you live your life. And that's what we're talking about these weeks. Beware of the church. Now last week we talked about being a transformational church. We talked about how that when you're a transformational church that um, ordinary men and women are transformed into extraordinary men and women. We talked about how that, uh, in, in Acts 4, it talks about Peter and John, especially, and the other disciples, they were seen as common, ordinary men. And the word for that in the Greek language is idiotes, or idiotai, in the plural, It means that we are all those common, ordinary, we are idiots, basically. When it comes to doing everything the right way, we fail often. When it comes to having all the gifts and abilities, we don't have all of those. But when we are giving our hearts and our lives to Jesus, when we say, I surrender to you, He says, I will take those idioti, one and all, I will take each and every one of you, and I will transform your life into something extraordinary. I will take somebody common, and ordinary, and I will make something out of your life that you can't even begin to imagine. So this transforming power of the gospel changes ordinary men and women into extraordinary men and women. It changes consumers into contributors, and it changes the living into the dead. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? Change the living into the dead? What I meant by that was that all of those things that are in me that are part of my selfish, sinful nature need to die. I need to die to uh, self applause I need to die to um, addictions. I need to die to all of those things in me that are of the world and not of the Spirit. And the more I die to myself, the more I'm alive to Christ. So we want to be a transformed church, a first, Testament ch- a first uh, century church, a New Testament church, the church of Jesus Christ. But not only are we a transformational church, We also want to be, and this is what we're going to talk about today, a risk-taking church. A risk-taking church. Now, that doesn't sound very exciting, but it really is. Who wants to sit around and just kind of be a lump? Let's take some risks. Let's see what God is asking us to do and do those things. It reminds me of the parable in Matthew 24, or excuse me, Matthew 25. Um, I'll tell you the first part of the parable, and then we'll read the second part of the parable. You're, you're you're familiar with this, and I will say in advance, uh, right up front, that this is a very dangerous passage of scripture. If you take it to heart, it's the parable of the talents. Let me paraphrase the first part of the story for you. Jesus tells the story of a man who goes on a journey, and before embarking on his trip, he distributes his property among his servants. He wants them to be stewards. He entrusts his money, his wealth. To these servants. They're very trusted servants. And he entrusts his wealth to them to do with that wealth what he would do if he were there. And so he leaves uh, to one servant and we'll put this in modern day pre-inflation money. He left to one servant a million dollars. He left to another servant $400,000 and he left to the third servant $200,000. Now, the one who had a million invests his million in the kingdom and makes another million. So he invests one million, makes another million, making Warren Buffett look like an intern at EF Hutton, right? Uh, Then the one with $400,000 turns it into $800,000, but the one with $200,000, incredibly, digs a hole in the backyard, stashes his cash in a coffee can, and buries it, and waits. Now, this guy is so risk-adverse that he's afraid he'll lose the cash or he's afraid that the master will be mad at him. He's afraid of the consequences, so he's paralyzed and he does absolutely nothing. He's paralyzed by fear. I wonder if you've ever been paralyzed by fear. I have many times. I remember when I was a little boy... Um, uh, eight years old, uh, my parents had us take swimming lessons in a, in a local pool. And so I was a good swimmer, but the one thing I've always been afraid of is heights. So I don't, I don't like the high dives and the, all of that stuff. I go to the Sears Tower and I stay back in the background. Uh, so I, I, I don't like heights. And, and this I didn't really realize that when I was a kid because I was never up high anywhere until I got in the high dive. Now, in order to pass the swimming test, you had to jump off the high dive, either dive or jump off. So it didn't look that hard from up there. It looked like, you know, it was only about 12 feet high. It didn't look that far. But when you get up there, it looks far, right? And the water looks like it's a mile away. And so I got up there, I stood on the end of the board with dozens of kids behind me waiting for their turn. And I was frozen in fear. I couldn't move. I couldn't move. I was, thinking, I was thinking, I can't do this, but I can't turn around because all those kids are on the ladder already and I'll be embarrassed and I don't know what to do. And I was simply frozen in fear until one sweet little naughty boy came and just pushed me off the board. So much for that. You know, but, but we are paralyzed by fear. How about when, maybe you remember something like this. When I was a teenager, our church decided that we needed to all go out witnessing, okay? What that meant was knocking on doors... And then trying to tell the people uh, in in their homes that they were going to die and go to hell if they didn't repent. That was the way we approached it. It was really sweet. And and by the way, it never works, right? But I was so fearful of that. I was a very shy kid anyway. I remember praying as I was walking up to these doorsteps... God, please help them not to be home. Kind of the opposite of what you'd want if you're actually witnessing, right? But God, please don't let them, you you can save them without me, please. This fear was in, have you ever felt that kind of fear in you, especially around things like sharing your faith? Well, this guy in Matthew 25 was completely terrified. He opted not to opt. He chose not to choose. He simply does nothing. The master returns and then look at what happens, picking it up at verse 26 of Matthew 25. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops, you can almost hear the guy saying, but master, I didn't want to disappoint you. I didn't want to, you you can hear all the excuses. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops, I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take away the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. That's the millionaire. Now he's got 2 million, right? Uh, To those who use what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even with what little they have, will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's one of those passages when you read it, you go, Ouch. <laughs> wow. What was God trying to say? Why was God so mad? You know, why was... He, this was such an issue for him. Well, the issue for him was a lot of things. I mean, part of it is, you understand the context, is that God has given us these gifts and abilities. He doesn't want us to bury them in the backyard. He wants to use, use them for the kingdom so the kingdom can multiply, right? Planting seeds, harvesting, all of that. But there's another part of this story that I think sometimes we miss, and it's this. This guy... Was just afraid to risk. He wanted to play it safe. He was unwilling to do anything that would maybe cause a problem or be an issue. He didn't want to take a risk. So he played it safe. He didn't want to take responsibility that if something went wrong. So not only is this apparel about warning to individuals about using their gifts and abilities, but to churches. Jesus was speaking, remember, to traditional religious leaders. The religious establishment in Jesus' day, all of them were afraid to take a risk about anything. They just sat, and they sat on the traditions of 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, we'll just do what we need to do. It's like the rules of a safe church are posted on the wall. Now you won't see this on our, our church walls, but you'll see them on some church walls, something like this. Qualities of a safe church. Number one, strive to keep the members happy. Okay, that's never our goal. If you're happy, you're happy because you're in the Lord. You know, you're not happy because we're making you happy. Strive to keep the the members happy, which means you guard what you have. You be very careful, guard what you have. Number two, avoid controversial issues. Don't talk about anything where anyone will get upset. Don't upset the, the apple cart. Number three, guard the status quo. Play it safe. Don't move the piano. Don't change the carpet. You know, play it safe. Jesus said to those who play it safe, and he uses very strong language, you wicked, lazy servant. Don't be so risk adverse that you don't do anything. The church of Jesus Christ for 1,700 years, since about the fourth century, for 17 years has been risk adverse. Oh, they'll risk doing things for themselves, gaining wealth for themselves, or making their lives important, self-important. But risking for other people, risking for the lost... Risking for the brokenhearted, risking for the people that are different from us, risking for those who have different religions or different sexual orientations or anything, risking for those people. We're supposed to risk our love and our time with them. And Jesus says very clearly, very openly, absolutely yes, do not be risk adverse. So there's a huge risk involved in being this kind of first century New Testament church. Not only are we transformational but we are a risk-taking church. Let me tell you what that risk-taking looks like. First of all, and this is going to really bless you when I say this, the first thing that it does is this. It brings you pain. Aren't you glad you came to church today? It was really exciting. You know? it, it brings you pain. Now, now listen to what uh, this gospel says in John chapter 15. This is great. Verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first, Jesus said. Okay, the world's going to hate you, right? But it hated me first. You're not alone in this. Jesus goes on. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. If you acted and behaved like the world, if you did everything like the world, the world will love you. They'll embrace you. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. See, this is the unside. So, this is the underbelly of the Christian faith. This is the part that. When you tell people, well, all you have to do is pray to receive, you say a little prayer, receive Christ, you get to go to heaven. There's an underbelly to that. It's this. Jesus said, I call you to come and die. Very, very painful. Death hurts. I call you to come to, to die to yourself, to die to those addictions and those bad habits, to die to your ability to even satisfy your own needs. It's going to hurt. We have a, Uh, a wonderful story about our church. I'll tell you the full version sometime if you're interested. And um, it goes something like this. Uh, When we first started the church back in 2000, we thought, well, let's be a church that looks like Jesus. Okay, now as soon as you say you're gonna be a church that looks like Jesus, you're signing up for the crucifixion. (laughs) And that's kind of painful, right? But, But that means that there's gonna be a lot of risk and a lot of problems involved, a lot of pain. So we said, okay, we believe that God wants us to build this church. And when I first went, we only had like 30, 40 people. Then after a year, we had 100 people, then 120. Finally, we said, okay, do we have enough momentum to actually build this church to carry that mortgage and to reach our community for Christ? And to a person, we said, yes, we're going to do it. So we built the church. We moved in here. We had 150 people, a mortgage that we couldn't even begin to pay. But we trusted God, and all of these things. But one of the things that happened when we were trying to move in this building is our contractor ran off with $150,000. You may not know that part of our story. That was painful. We almost couldn't open the church. Uh, Gary Boydston kind of took over being the uh, manager of the project, the construction manager, and we got it done finally, but we had to borrow $150,000 more from our our denomination. It was very painful. God wanted us to be in this building to reach our community for Christ. The enemy did not want us to be, and we are constantly fighting this battle. Did you know that there are Christians all over the world who are being persecuted. Now, that's a money thing, right? And that's kind of a pain in the neck thing. But how about Christians all over the world who are being martyred daily? Hundreds of Christians are being martyred for their faith. Now, in comfortable, close, uh, United States of America, yeah, once in a while we feel picked on because the government says you can't, talk about God in schools and we, you know, we kind of feel picked on. You know, that's small peanuts. There are people in the world who are dying for their faith. They're feeling excruciating great pain and suffering for their faith. In the first century... You couldn't be a Christ follower and walk around the street without being looked at, boycotted against. You had no financial leverage. You had no religious leverage. You had no job. You had nothing going on for you. You were beaten. You were imprisoned. Ultimately, you were killed. That's the way the first century church lived and survived. And you know what? They expanded because of it. If you sign up for this kind of Christ, uh, if you sign up for this kind of religion, if you sign up for this kind of faith, you're signing up for pain. Because we're floating upstream. The world is going this way. We're going this way, and sometimes it's very. Sometimes you run into the, one of those salmon and hit you right on the nose. It's painful. I remember there was a, a church that uh, a church that I served in Minnesota, and I remember that um, uh, I was talking to the deacons about wanting to uh, go to. There's a new apartment complex being built across the street from the church. This is in suburban Saint Paul, and. Um, and I said, I'd like to, all of us to go as deacons and we'll get some other people to go over there with some cookies or a, pe- a loaf of bread with a brochure about the church and say, hey, we want to invite you to our church. And I remember one of the deacons said, well, we can't do that. And I said, why not? He said, because those aren't our kind of people. They, they, these, those are people that live in apartments and they rent and they don't have very much income. There's even people of different colors over there. It's kind of scary. You know, they, they don't look like us. And, and I thought to myself, how on earth did you get to be a deacon? I should have said it out loud but I, I didn't. I said I said we are created not for you Bob that's what his name was. Our church is not created for you. Our church is created for the world for the lost. And that sometimes means it's painful and it doesn't and it costs you something and it's different and everything else and well he didn't agree with me but that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus what uh, was said of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. This is what uh, the writer of Hebrews said. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, okay? So you get that picture, fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith, okay? We know that Jesus was the author and perfecter of our faith. Who, Jesus, for the joy set before him, and you say to yourself, what was the joy set before him? For the joy set before him endured the cross. So for some reason, Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What was this joy set before Jesus that made him go to the cross? What was that? What was that goal? What was that thing that he wanted that he was willing to take any pain for? I'll tell you what it was. It was you. It was a relationship with you. God says, I cannot stand being apart from you. I can't tolerate not being with you. I will do anything to be with you in your life. And so he sent his son Jesus to the cross to endure that enormous pain for the joy set before him. The joy set before him was a relationship with each and every one of you. Now how much are you willing to experience that kind of pain so that others might know Jesus Christ? How many of you are willing to set aside your fear about what will my this guy that I work with, you know, he's, he's got problems, he's got issues. What if I tell him my story about how I came to Christ and, 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 and offer him a, a, a chance to come to church with him? I'll I'll be embarrassed if I do that. Well, yes, you will be. And I'll probably use the wrong words. Well, I guarantee you will use the wrong words. And I'll probably be embarrassed. Well, of course you'll be embarrassed. But how important is that to Literally set aside your discomfort for the purpose of reaching one more for Jesus. The joy set before you is that relationship that God wants to have with each and every one of you and each and every one of the people that you know. The unseed side of the gospel is it's going to hurt sometimes. It's awesome, but it's painful. It's the joy set before you to endure whatever pain we face as Christ followers in the 21st century. That's what it means to be a church like Jesus. The unseen side of the church is seen in pain, but it's also seen in risk. You know the story of Peter walking on water. Uh, In your sermon notes, you'll find that story, Matthew chapter 14. Listen to this. Talk about the opposite of risk averse. (laughs) Listen about Peter. Matthew 14, verse 25. About three o'clock in the morning... Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Pretty cool. Wouldn't you like to be there for that? Of course, most of us would be sound asleep, but when one person notices, everybody notices. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Well, of course they were. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. That's a wonderful passage. You could preach a week on that, right? Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, Peter had some kind of faith. He said, Lord, if it's really... The rest of them thought he was a ghost. But Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come walking on the water. Jesus responds, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves... He was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Isn't that a beautiful story? Uh, People think that it's a story about how that Peter failed because he sunk in the water. Well, yeah, I guess you could say that. But you know what? I see it more as uh, that um, there's a loving guys who didn't even try. Loving guys that played it safe. Stood back and pointed at the one guy who did something. Yeah, yeah, look, look, look at him. Look at, look at Peter. He, he thought he had, but look at, he's sinking now. They're sitting in their boat and, yeah, look, look at that guy. Who did God use at Pentecost to bring 3,000 people to Christ? <laughs> that guy, Peter, who would risk and challenge and do whatever it takes to say, Lord, I'm yours. I know it's going to be painful, and I know it's a tremendous risk. I could look like an idiot in front of all of my friends, but that's exactly who he was. Well, how do we know if we should risk as Christ followers, right? As a church, how do we know if we should risk? Well, risk is always tied to a possible return, okay? Now, I'm a former addictive gambler, so you need to listen. I know, my, I know this stuff, Okay. Risk is tied, and I wasn't very good at it either, by the way. Risk is tied to a possible return. Let me give you an example. If there's a burning house and it's just about completely engulfed in flames, would you rush back in there to save a cat? The answer is no. For those of you that think the answer is yes, no, the answer is no. But if there was a burning house and it was completely engulfed in flames and there was a child in there, I don't know about you, I I hope that I would have the courage to rush in there and try to save the child. Why? Because the risk is worth the return. So the Super Bowl is coming up in a couple of weeks. If you have $100 to spend, and I don't, uh, don't recommend this, $100 to bet on the Super Bowl, here's your odds. You have a 50-50 chance. If you get put down a $100 bill, you have a 50-50 chance of either winning $110 or nothing. I wonder if you would take that bet. Uh, if you say yes... You need to go to Gambler's Anonymous because you're terrible at this. You would fail at this terribly. The return helps to determine the risk. So what do we as a church, what do we have to risk? If I believe that what we do here, I was talking to a niece who doesn't believe in God. That's her position right now. And I said to her, I said, Krista, do you real, I said, I know you love me and you respect me, but do you realize that I risked my entire life for this stuff? <laughs> I threw away an engineering career. I threw away everything that I thought was really important to me for this pursuing this gospel thing with people. Do you realize that? I She said, I, I realize that. She said, I respect. Well, I said, how can you respect somebody that gives their life away to something that doesn't exist? What a foolish thing that would be when I was a teenager, um, I was 18 years old, I was a freshman in college. Uh, My grandfather, who I loved with all my heart, my uh, maternal grandfather, he was a carpenter, a cabinet maker, wonderful skilled man, but he was the only one in our extended family that wasn't a believer. He just didn't uh, believe in that blankety blank and he didn't all that, but I loved him. He was just such a wonderful man otherwise and I remember when he got sick, he got Parkinson's. uh, He was 69 years old. He was in the hospital. It was obvious that he wasn't going to live very long. And here's the conversation I had with myself. Dwayne, your grandfather that you love with all your heart, if he dies without Christ, he will spend eternity apart from God. We call that hell. He will spend eternity apart from God. Now, how much courage do you need to go in there and tell your grandpa about Jesus. It may not do any good, but how much courage do you need? It's because I was a shy kid. I was embarrassed. because I, 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 I respected grandpa for his life, but he'd already told me a thousand times no to going to church, and I thought he would think I was stupid and foolish young boy, and why are you wasting your time with that? And I wouldn't know the verses right, and I would quote them wrong, and I went in there anyway, and I said, Grandpa, let me tell you about Jesus. And I told him in a very uncomplicated, very inefficient, very unorganized way and my grandpa that day gave his heart to Jesus. Now from that day forward, I've been absolutely committed to this proposition. I don't care what it's going to risk, I don't care how embarrassed I'm going to be, I don't care who anybody cares who they think I am or are not, I'm going to do everything in my power. To reach one more for Christ. Whether it's somebody in my congregation or the next person I see out there, I will do everything in my power to reach one more for Christ. The risk is worth the return. I asked many of you, I asked all of you to invite, pray about, and invite somebody to Christmas Eve. And many of you took me up on that. Our church was packed, and and many of you brought people, friends, neighbors, relatives, enemies. Uh, you brought people. And, and, and here's the deal. You partnershiped with God that night. To, if, not, if they didn't respond by receiving Christ, they heard the gospel, at least that. You know that. You partnered with God to do that great miracle. Dozens of people that, that night at those two services, gave their hearts to Christ. Dozens of people, people that you brought here, people that you invited here, people that you said, you know what? My neighbor's gonna think I'm a goofball. They're gonna think I'm a religious fanatic or a nut, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna invite them to church. I'm gonna invite them for dinner. I'm gonna do something somehow, some way, so that they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a risk, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Say it, it's worth it. It is worth it. In 2007, we decided that we were going to plant a church. One of the reasons we've decided to uh, uh, kind of almost stunt our growth, although that's not I don't like that word because we constantly want to grow, constantly want to win new people to Christ. But we plant churches. We planted a church in 2007. We planted a church in 2010. The church we planted in 2007, the Bridge Covenant Church, 35 of our people that sat with us every Sunday, that worshiped with us, that went out to lunch with us, that, that tithed with us, that gave on, the, on their backs, built this church and, and made the payments and the morning. You know, 35 people that were like that went over to the bridge. It was a great sacrifice for them. It was a great sacrifice for us. Why on earth did we do that? Because the risk is worth it. The reward. The return is that many people at the bridge in Gilbert have come to know Jesus Christ. The risk is worth the reward. I go to midwinter, and uh, every midwinter, me and my friends and other guys, uh, past, all pastors, we talk and we swap stories. And, and there always gets around to well, what has worked in your church and what has not worked? And of course, I've always got stories of both. And one guy said to me a couple of years ago, he said, it seems like everything you guys do there at Hope works. I said, are you kidding? I mean, here's, here's our mantra. If you haven't heard it, you need to hear it today. Here's our mantra. Risk, fail, learn, adjust. <laughs> That's what we do. Risk, fail, learn, adjust. I could give you a long list of things that we've tried to reach our community that have failed miserably, but some things we have done have hit the spot. We started five years ago Easter in Tumbleweed Park. We reach more people for the kingdom in that one one-hour service. Last year, 1,000 people over there, 2,000 for the Easter egg hunt. We reach more people in that because we risk our money, we risk our day, because all of us are serving that day, right? We risk everything to reach one more person for Jesus Christ. Risk, fail, learn, adjust. As long as there is one person that's outside of Jesus, as long as there's one person that lives in Chandler that doesn't go to church. And by the way, 80% of people in Chandler do not go to church. We're not afraid of Cornerstone or Chandler Christian. God bless them for those churches. God bless all the churches. We need more churches. We need churches everywhere because we're still not reaching 80% of the people in Chandler. We need more people doing the work of the gospel. And if it takes risk and failure and learning and adjusting, that's exactly and precisely what we'll do. The unseen side of a dangerous church is pain and risk. And the last thing is this, it's loss. (laughs) And you might say, hallelujah. Well, actually, no, you don't feel like saying hallelujah to that. Pain, risk, loss. Matthew chapter 16 Verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The traditional church historically, and there's a lot of churches in our world today that are like this, hold on tight to their tradition, their doctrine, their theology. All of those can be very good things. But we have to let loose sometimes of those things and say, what am I going to do? What loss am I going to feel or experience to reach one more for Jesus Christ? What am I going to sacrifice? Here's my definition of sacrifice, and it's just my made-up definition. You can believe it or not. Here's what I believe sacrifice is in the context of the church. Sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love even more. It's giving up your money that you love. Don't don't get me wrong, we all do. I mean, I know that's a sin, but we all do. Giving up your money that you love for something you love even more to make a difference in the kingdom for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sacrifice is giving up your time when you could be doing something for yourself to serve on a Be the Church Day. We have one coming up in February where we go out and we're just the church in the community for a day on a Saturday. And we take uh, 100, 200, however many people show up and we go out there and we just infect the community with the love of Jesus Christ. You, you could do a lot of other things on that day, but you are sacrificing and you are making, that's a, this loss for me of this day is a gain. Giving up something we love for something we love even more. Some of you grew up with hymns like I did. You say, well, how come we don't sing hymns? Well, we've talked about this a thousand times. You know the answer to that. We do sing some hymns, not a lot, but we do music that will best attract and be connective to people that are unchurched. And that's upbeat, contemporary music. The reason we do it is not because I prefer it or Ryan prefers it. We do it because we'll do anything to reach one more for Christ. Anything, okay? Plant a new church. Great cost to us, financially, in terms of our people, but we give up something we love for something we love even more. Luke 5.11 says, So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Him. Now the ultimate sacrifice, of course, was Jesus Christ. He sacrificed His glory, His state of perfection in heaven, The joy of being with the Trinity for all eternity. Why? Why did Jesus, for the joy set before him, come to this planet to die for you and for me? Why did he do that? Because he cannot tolerate not being with you as his son or his daughter. He cannot stand not being around you and involved in you and gracing you and loving you. He will do anything for that sacrifice. As a church, here's my commitment. As a church... I don't want to be a church that does anything less than experiencing that kind of pain, that kind of risk, that kind of loss. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to reach one more for Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, you hear this uh, in our hearts this morning. These aren't just words. Uh, these, this is the, the conviction of who we are as a church body. Uh, we, are, we exist for the purpose of Taking the gospel to the world. And Father, where we've failed and we've failed miserably at times as individuals and as a church, forgive us. But Father, would you help us to be so excited about the gospel, about the opportunity of partnering with you to reach one more for Christ that we will do anything, whether it takes pain or risk or loss, we will do anything to reach one more for Christ. Lord, I want that in my personal life, I want that in my church. I don't want to be a church that's comfortable or safe, God forbid. I want to be a church that's constantly pushing out, constantly reaching out, constantly finding ways to reach one more for Christ. Lord, that's our heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each of us to grasp this truth. I pray that this word, as we've looked at the gospel today, through Matthew and John, that as we grasp this truth, that this truth would grasp us and never let us go. Never let us go. Thank you, Father, for this great congregation, for these amazing people that every week, Lord, we ask them to do something enormous. We ask them them to take a great step of faith. We ask them to give over and above. We ask them, and every week, Lord, they are your servants, and they say, Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, may be that the truth for each and every one of us today and for us as a church, for we pray these things in Jesus' precious name, amen, amen.